Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Unplugged Podcast. I am your host, Randy Osei, and on this special episode, we are joined by former Division I athlete and founder of Recruit HQ, Tessa Thomas. Tessa, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Randy. How are you? great to hear. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm great. I'm very excited to have you today. I literally just saw a couple of days ago, the DMZ featured you. Um, ever wonder how a successful entrepreneur got started? We asked six DMZ women founders to share what inspired or motivated them to build their startups and what advice they'd give other aspiring women entrepreneurs in male-dominated fields. Um, we're going to share this link with everyone um, later on, but uh, let's get back into the podcast. Congrats on that. You know, no, thank you. Yeah, it's articles are very important as you continue to build and build brand. For sure. Yeah. And I'm very grateful to be a part of the, you know, the DMC Women Founders Fast Track program. So thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Shout out to the DMC. <laughs> they were at our first athlete tech summit of Dula Snowbar. I got to get him on the podcast. That's one guy. Yeah, for sure. Him. Definitely. Amazing. Oh, <laughs> he recently got married, but I got to reconnect. Now, let's get back to Tessa. Tessa, you know, where are you originally from? You know, give us a little bit of your backstory. You know, where were you born, raised, high school? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. So actually born in Toronto, uh, raised out in the East End in Durham and Pickering. Uh, so for those unfamiliar with the GTA, uh, Pickering's kind of a 30 minute suburb east uh, in the early 90s, uh, pretty small, um, not super diverse uh, spot, but a great place to grow up. And so, um, yeah, I was raised there essentially all the way through JK, elementary school, high school, uh, all in Pickering. Um, and yeah, I was uh, competing and playing in multiple sports all through that time. Uh, it was definitely the type of place where you just, uh, my brain, um, the way I remember growing up was just playing things all the time. Like it was that kind of suburb, like the, you know, street hockey <laughs> kind of thing, you know, go and find your friends, go into the school to shoot around, you know, play basketball on the weekends and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, great place to grow up and, uh, definitely a lot of, uh, activities and play and everything, uh, growing up there in Pickering. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, street hockey. I didn't play street hockey. I played foot hockey. You ever oh play yeah. Hockey? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, foot hockey Body always made me nervous with the ankles. <laughs> like, oh, man. I was, I, I remember grade, grade six. I think mm -hmm. I was in grade six and we created a league. So first right. and third year, yeah. we would have games and like keeps track of, you know, um, leading scorers and assists. Right. And it was, it was, incredible in grade That's six so when we fun. put together. <laughs> yeah. I was uh I was one of the leading scorers because I, I didn't pass but uh, nice yeah. <laughs> so no assists well, 100 goals no assists no, 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 no. yeah as I as I got older and I stopped growing I I then began to pass because I couldn't I couldn't see right. the rim I couldn't <laughs> so funny. Um, and for those that yeah. don't know you know Pickering Pickering is um east of downtown Toronto yeah um, and also home of Corey Joseph. Corey I was about to say, Andrew. yeah, home of a lot of uh, athletes have come out of Pickering in the last, yeah, 10, 20 years, uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, Perdita Felician, uh, you know, national level sprinter, 
out of Pickering as well, I believe, and um, Pickering Ajax, like that 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 area for sure. So a lot of talent <laughs> coming out of there, which is pretty awesome. Pick, Pickering's got it. We got, got it. it like Brampton. It doesn't <laughs> have it like Brampton. We can have Mr. Bay any so day of the week. Let's go. I love it. <laughs> you know, um, I know. I know. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, you played, you know, um, uh, street hockey, basketball. How did you land or, you know, how did you get to softball? Yeah, for sure. So I have an older brother and um, he played baseball. Um, and my mom, my parents are both uh, Guyanese, so they didn't grow up with, with baseball. But being in Toronto in the early 90s when the Jays essentially did what they did, I think um, was a huge rocket ship for youth baseball uh, just in the great Toronto area for sure. Um, so my family was already kind of into it. And then I think, you know, uh, myself being a kid around that time, it was just everybody wanted to beat Joe Carter. <laughs> it didn't boy, girl, whoever, it didn't matter, right? Everybody wanted to, to kind of do that. So um, there was a lot of energy around baseball. Uh, so I actually started off playing baseball um, with the boys. Like when you're young, you know, girls and boys playing together is, is very common in most sports. Um, and so I started off in baseball uh, and then right around middle school, you know, that's kind of the time where coaches are like, well, you probably have more longevity playing softball, right? There's, there's actually opportunities to go play, you know, in university in the States and things like that. So if you switch over, um, then for an op for, you know, opportunities alone, it's probably a better suited sport. So I made the switch, I think maybe around grade six, grade seven, somewhere around there, um, and switched over to softball. And then, yeah, uh, essentially played for a super competitive team here in the GTA all through. So, uh, six, five or six seasons with the same team, like same core group of girls. It was, it was fantastic. We had fantastic coaches. Um, and so that journey uh, in softball here in Toronto was uh, essentially what was the main uh, kind of sport I played through through high school at the, the rep level. I also actually played basketball. So softball and basketball pretty much at the same level all through high school. Um, and in high school, I played a bunch of other stuff, volleyball, track and cross country, um, things like that. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, for me, softball was a natural evolution pretty much from being involved in, in, in baseball for so long. And then, you know, seeing opportunities arise from being involved in that sport uh, were definitely, you know, things that, that kept me going with it. Not to mention just having fun and, you know, loving it and, and having great teammates and coaches and all that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, a couple of things that she talked about there is, you know, uh, I think it was a 92-93 mm -hmm. uh, Blue Jays team and, and what they did for baseball. I, I would love to think, um, you know, the same thing that, you know, Wayne Gretzky and, and those guys did for hockey, what Vince Carter did for, for basketball. For basketball um, in Toronto, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the same kind of storytelling where, you know, we, we, we see these people that mm -hmm. are almost bigger than life uh, accomplishing things in front of us in our home cities yeah. and it, it, it drives us right I, I i'll always i'll never forget you know vince carter and what he meant to me you know i remember totally. being a kid and, yeah. and and watching him you know play the celtics on a tuesday and right. he would drop 25 and whatever he would drop and yeah. either i would go upstairs and play on my playstation one or if it was winter outside, right. but if it was warm, I'd go outside and try to do and the same. Just move. try, just start shoot. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly 100 percent. i mean as a kid the same like when the raptors i remember raptor ball like i remember those community initiatives to get kids playing basketball because we got a franchise and like all those things you know when the when the pro team in your city is is doing well i think it it translates you know to youth sports quite a bit so um baseball was that way for me for sure absolutely absolutely now when did you realize you were good enough to make uh, make it in, you know, division one baseball in the U S cause you know, I'm sure you were, you were playing, you know, sports during a time where not a lot of Canadians were going to the U S yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely grown. Um, the NCAA, uh, Canadian athletes, I mean, this makes sense just by, by proxy, but represent the largest international student athlete pool in, in the NCAA. So right now there's about 5,000, uh, Canadians that go down every year. Um, which out of 500,000 is very small, <laughs> certainly. So it's still quite small. Um, but for me with softball, uh, I had seen some players go down uh, ahead of me. So there were girls, uh, you know, who I played against here uh, in the Toronto area who might've been, you know, within two to four years ahead uh, who were going down on, on scholarship, you know, and, and um, going to different schools, but finding those opportunities and, and making, um, making it happen down there. So I did have a bit of at least, um, you know, the knowledge that it was possible and the awareness that those opportunities existed. And then it became, um, you know, a lot of work. It became a lot of travel ball, you know, a lot of trying to get in front of coaches, um, trying to, you know, have our team be as good as possible. And so for me, um, you know, I definitely knew it was a thing. You start receiving letters, right? You start receiving kind of letters in the mail from uh, folks you didn't know were watching, <laughs> which is, you know, it sounds a bit weird, but as an athlete, that's kind of uh, how it starts sometimes. Um, so for me, that was definitely part of the process. Um, and then as well, because we had uh, other girls that had gone down, you know, kind of in our leagues that we played with, you, when you think about how you stack up, you know, with those players, because you are competing against them directly, that's also kind of a, a an indicator of, okay, well, you know, if I can hang with her and she's going down, then maybe, yeah, maybe I could go down as well, something like that, so. Wow, absolutely. That, that must have been exciting. I think, um, you know, as an athlete, we, we always talk about receiving letters, you know, what were, what were some of the schools that, that sent you letters outside of the school that you chose? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a good old trip. You know what it was like, I, so I ended up at Winthrop university in South Carolina, um, had a fantastic experience down there and, uh, just so many like lifelong relationships and, and everything. Um, but of course there were the recruiting journey. The thing about it that's so interesting is that it takes place over years. You know, it's like you start, going down that road, maybe grade nine, grade 10, and you're not there until two or three years later. So I had had a, a few, uh, as I mentioned, friends who I knew who went down to Windup ahead of me. Uh, so um, they were in the know for, they were in the, you know, consideration um, for a long time, for sure. Uh, but some other schools, I did visits to uh, Youngstown, uh, Ohio State, Princeton, um, where else? Uh, I, you, the thing is, as well, as you had other teammates who were interested in school, so you might almost just tag along on like a couple visits as well. So I think Mercyhurst was in there with a teammate. Um, uh, definitely a, a number of schools, mainly in this region, I would say, though, mainly in like the Northeast or, or going down the East Coast. Um, but letters from 
yeah, schools in the region for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you graduated from Winthrop University yes. with, with honors. <laughs> what were you focused on as a career after you graduated? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, originally I wanted to study architecture, um, but Winthrop doesn't have a school of engineering, so they don't have an architecture program. And so, um, which was, which was okay. So I went into art history and um, art history was my major. So again, not, you don't see very many athletes in the art buildings. <laughs> I don't think on many university campuses. Um, so that was a unique experience in and of itself. Um, but it was great. I had great professors down there and super small department, but fantastic. Um, so I started art history and then had an idea that I might get into art conservation, which is the uh, preservation and, and uh, historical conservation of, of artworks, um, which is again, a super niche field. Uh, so a lot of work in museums, galleries, libraries, and archives. Um, and because I love to essentially, you know, as an athlete, you want to have a job where you're kind of active or working with your hands or something moving around throughout the day. So it kind of fit that mold as well. And, you know, I love the arts, one story architecture. So I did art history and chemistry uh, with the goal of getting into art conservation. And uh, once I graduated, I, I came up back here up to Canada and went to Queens and did my master's in art conservation. Um, so really, I would say while I was at Winthrop in those last two years, um, the focus was getting into art conservation. And that was going to be the, the main career path uh post post-grad absolutely absolutely what so art conservation okay yeah did you have any you know athletic highlights from your playing career that you wanted to share yeah for sure i mean there's so many like the thing about um it's it's so wild because playing in the ncaa um just first and foremost it's a trip because you're especially being Canadian, um, you know, the American focus on sport is totally, it's different, you know, it's, it's a lot. And so, um, you know, in that first year, our team didn't do so great. Um, but the beauty of it kind of as well, it's kind of the, the blessing and the curse is that you have players who graduate every year, you know, so your team is going to look different every year. Um, and so, while we didn't have a great first year, our my middle two years, uh, so my second year, we actually had a historic season. A number of those records still stand uh, at Winthrop. Um, so we won conference, we made it all the way to the, the um, regional tournament, um, upset UNC, which for me was a big deal because like growing up just watching March Madness and seeing the Tar Heels like as a kid and then, you know, getting to play them, you know, albeit in softball, not in basketball, but it's just all of those names, you know, all those schools that you've seen and learned and heard about for so long, um, getting to compete against them uh, was, was really special for me. And so, um, yeah, so that season, yeah, was, was phenomenal. Um, our, our next season was really successful as well. Uh, and then my senior year, again, you know, with the, uh, you, never, you never know which team is um, going to perform, you know, uh, and meet those expectations each year, but senior year wasn't as strong. Um, but capped off, you know, four amazing years uh, at Winthrop. So during that time, I was able to play, leading up to, to Winthrop, actually, I played on Team Ontario in the Canada Summer Games, and that was definitely a highlight. Um, that was the most kind of, um, yeah, athlete village, kind of like 
obviously much, much smaller scale than the Olympics, but uh, a very fun kind of vibe with that, with Canada Summer Games. So super enjoyed that. And then uh, while I was at Winthrop, actually, in between my, my first and second year, I played with the uh, national team program. So Team Canada Softball Elite. Um, and again, that was incredible as well. That was being able to wear Canada across your chest and compete is like a different, yeah, I see you, I see you, and you got the Canada shirt on. Uh, but that's, a, you know, any, any athlete will tell you that's like the, the greatest honor, right? So, um, you know, all those are highlights um, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, the Canadian pride definitely, you know, extenuates, I'm sure, when you went down, um, you know, to, to Winthrop um, way back when, a lot of people were probably like, oh, do you live in igloos? And, you know, asking <laughs> some of the world's most uh, It's, it's uh, fun. We had a lot of fun with it, to be honest. So as I mentioned, so we actually had a lot of Canadians on our softball team. Um, and so I was not alone in defending my <laughs> Canadianness. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which was fun, but it's also just, you're just learning as well. Right. Cause there's also all the, you know, while that is being said, um, you know, there's all the things that we think of when we think of the South. Right. And so my teammates from the South would be like, what are you talking about? You know, that is not how we do things down here. But of course there were, uh, as you mentioned, those, th I think the, the most fun we had actually was uh, every once in a while um, it would snow in South Carolina. And that was fun because the whole city would shut down. Nobody knows what to do up here. It was really like a, what we would consider a Flurry, a flurry yeah. storm yeah like an overnight frost essentially so uh, anything to do with winter was was great fun for us when we were down there for sure after you graduated um you know was it important for you to find work in the u.s or was it was coming back to canada a focus for you uh for me i was i mean i was open like i was definitely open to the possibility i had i, I wanted to come back to go to grad school um so i came back and went to queens um but actually the year before my last year at Winthrop. Um, that summer I actually interned in New York um, at MoMA and that was phenomenal. Um, if anyone could live in New York for four months, <laughs> I would highly recommend it. Not right now, of course, um, but it's such a special place. Um, so I, you know, having, uh, had, having had been in the US for, for those you know, four years or so, um, I was definitely open to it, but after Queens, um, the opportunities that presented themselves. Uh, so while at Queens, I also did uh, a summer in Australia, and that was, um, again, amazing. And then after graduating from Queens, I ended up in the UK, uh, in London for a year. So I was definitely open, um, but there was no um, necessarily strong pull to stay or to um, also, you know, uh, come right back down come right back to Toronto. So travel around, I essentially traveled around a little bit to see where I would land. And um, now I've been back in Toronto for the past, uh, yeah, seven or eight years, so. Beautiful. I think, you know, that Canadian pride, like I, I, I talked about is, is definitely at the forefront. And uh, I think we've seen it during COVID, you know, or, or I yeah. wanted to give a shout out to our, our, our leadership for um, looking out for us and uh, giving us you know, the, 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 the benefits and the supports to continue to chase our dreams. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, speaking to another entrepreneur, um, you founded a couple of businesses in your time. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Talk to us about, you know, the different businesses and where the ideas and inspirations 
came from for each? Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the first things I did actually was in the museum gallery kind of archive space because um, I was working in that space. So a friend of mine and I developed a friend of mine and I developed an app um, that could be that was like experiential. So if you went into to an exhibition, you might see our app on an iPad and, and interact with it kind of thing. So that would have been kind of the first foray into um, yeah, building something that you could put out in the world you know, that people might, might buy. And so, uh, super niche, but, um, that was a fun, um, experiment that we, that, or from project that we launched. And then a couple of years later, um, so all through essentially grad school, um, having graduated from Winthrop and played at D1 for four years and having been an athlete forever, uh, grad school was actually the first time I wasn't an athlete and going to school. <laughs> and so it felt really weird. Um, so in that time I actually got certified as a personal trainer. Um, and so I've, I've actually been a, a certified personal trainer since so it's been um, the better part of the, of the decade, actually maybe, yeah, nine years now. Um, but that led to, so working in personal training and, and fitness um, led to fit notes, which was at the time, uh, the, what I would equate it to now, uh, given the the rise of some of these other apps, would be like Blinkist. I don't know if you're familiar with Blinkist, but it's like a, a a book summary app for entrepreneurs or more so business leaders and, and professionals. Um, and so FitNotes was essentially book summaries for health and fitness professionals. So, as a trainer or a fitness instructor, it's really hard to keep it up with, you know, as as any actually consumer can imagine, because you're inundated with try this workout or that or this diet or this nutrition, you know, you're inundated with all these things. And so it's, it's an industry that's like constantly changing um, and evolving and, and all this information is being thrown at you. So FitNotes was um, a way to simplify that and find the high quality info and, and bring it to fitness professionals. So um, yeah, that was, it, it didn't go as far as I would have liked it to, but started it, got it out in the world uh, again and, and learned from it. Um, and then um, after that, I actually started consulting uh, with the Student Athlete Academy. So that uh, initiative was literally kind of the birthplace of Recruit HQ, which is that I found that a lot of athletes here in the GTA um, with the, the players I was, that I was talking to and the parents, more so around the softball community, were still very confused or misinformed about athletic recruiting in general, um, how to get scholarships, um, you know, just about the NCAA, what division are they best suited towards, all that kind of info. Uh, and so I started consulting in that space. And um, I just found that there was so much more um, that I thought a platform could do than myself as a single person. And so that was where Recruit HQ came from. And uh, Recruit HQ, I like to describe as uh, essentially glass door, but for college athletic recruiting. So it's a space and, and platform and community where former NCAA student athletes uh, leave anonymous ratings and reviews to share their experiences competing in their programs. Um, and it, this kind of goes back to what we talked about before, where, you know, you asked, how did, how did I get into softball, you know, and be able to pursue it at that level? It's because I, I knew people that did it, you know, kind of local to me. And not every athlete is that networked. You know, not every athlete has a coach who has sent a player to a school before. And so we're trying to build a platform and community where it doesn't matter kind of where you are, you can find that information, find those resources, find those tools um, to help you through every stage of your recruiting journey. And that's Recruit HQ, so that brings us up to where I am today. 
Absolutely. And now you you started Recruit HQ in 2019, right? Correct. Yes, last year. Yeah. Um, how has business been? You know, what are you know what are some of the your milestones that you've hit? Um, you know, some customer stories or um, engagements with different brands and, and things like that. Give us some updates. About For sure. Time. Yeah. So we're still super early. Um, started last year, like as in the idea <laughs> came last year. Uh, so uh, still super early when the idea hit, you know, then it became, okay, well, would, you know, would former athletes want to share, you know, I like it was a hunch. It's that that's the hypothesis, right? It's like, yeah, I think, you know, it, there is no central place for this. Um, you know, a lot of athletes, once they graduate, it, it feels like you're being kind of like sucked out of a vacuum. You've been in this bubble, you know, with your teammates doing your thing for this time. And then literally overnight, like everybody graduates and you tend to just spread out, you know, and you don't necessarily um, have a, a space and a place to share what that experience was like. And then, you know, second to that, be able to help a young athlete coming up behind you. So um, once I, you know, once the idea was kind of, was kind of there, uh, it became just reaching out to my network and seeing, you know, what people contribute. Um, and that was a couple months of, um, of doing that and, and seeing what that was like. And, and it was great, but it was obviously not very scalable um, and didn't really have a channel to reach, uh, you know, a wider number of, of former student athletes. So um, a lot of it, a lot of the past year has been trying to find those channels. Um, and so in March, um, we were able to um, really get that going. Uh, so oddly with COVID, like right at the same time, um, you know, we were able to, to get more outreach for, for former student athletes uh, by connecting with them through LinkedIn primarily. Um, and so now we have over, I think we're closing on 1300 reviews on the platform. Uh, the goal was to get at least a thousand reviews from former student athletes before going live. So before making it accessible to, to families, just so that when they did show up, there was something there. It wasn't just like the 25 people that I knew <laughs> and their reviews from, uh, from their experience. So we actually just went live in August. Um, so it hasn't been, been that long, but with, uh, you know, even in that time, we have a few hundred more reviews on the site, um, representing, I think, over 30 sports across all three divisions, which is phenomenal. Um, and and I, like, I love that. I think that's um, definitely one of our milestones on launch uh, that was important to me. Um, and right now, we're just uh, essentially working on our community building. Uh, so building out that community platform. So a lot of former student athletes, when they leave a review, they're super keen to help more. Um, and so I'd love to, you know, kind of be able to continue to bring them to a place where high school athletes or their parents are so that they can start communicating with each other and, um, and figure out what those next steps might be in, in a young athlete's journey and, and how they can help. Uh, so right now, the biggest thing we can do is just spread the word to young athletes and their parents that the platform is live and uh, it's there for a resource for them. It's free to access. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we're at right now. How do you, how does it make money? What is the business model? Yeah, for sure. So the business model uh, has a, a couple different sides to it. There's a few different revenue streams. Um, we have also built out a couple of tools for uh, high school athletes and their families. So one of them is a roster search tool, which is a, is a monetized tool. Uh, and so what the roster search tool actually allows you to do is to uh, filter through all D1 programs uh, in your sport. 
So we've started with fall sports for now, and those are the only published rosters we have currently. But let's say you played um, soccer and you're a goalkeeper. With our tool, you could see all of the goalkeepers who are graduating NCAA D1 programs within the next four years. So if you're currently in grade 10 and you're a goalkeeper, you can literally filter and see like, oh, this school is graduating a goalkeeper in two years. This school, you know, and then that becomes a really great starting spot to begin to reach out to, to those coaches if those schools kind of match what you're looking for. So our roster search tool is monetized. So that's on the consumer side. Uh, we also have a marketplace of essentially complementary services. So SAT prep companies, um, recruiting consultancies for, uh, you know, that added assistance and help if people are looking for that. Uh, so those complementary service providers uh, pay an annual fee to be essentially on our directory. And then uh, the other major, two major streams, uh, which we're looking to develop more, of course, now that we're live um, and which we are um, really excited about are colleges and universities having a stronger um, presence on the platform. So right now, each college university has like a very super basic profile page, but if they want to own that space, you know, they totally can. And we're so on board with, um, you know, getting their presence stronger on the platform. Because if you're a young athlete and then all, you know, you're reading, getting excited about like soccer at Winthrop and then, you know, you hit this page and it's giving you um, a, a tour of the locker room and the field and the facilities, like all that stuff, um, you know, that really piques the interest of athletes and parents and, and having those programs own their space in our platform um, is another revenue stream. And then the, the fourth one is um, essentially brands and display advertising uh, down the road as well. So those are the, the current money makers. <laughs> yeah, it's four distinct but unique revenue streams, which are very, very smart. You're diversifying your, you know, your, your opportunities to make money. I think what would be interesting is, you know, maybe you should um, invite Kate at, at, at Snack. Maybe mm -hmm. they could help build their brands through. Totally. Recruiting. Yeah, that's totally. A, for sure. A, yeah. The, yeah. Thank you. Here, so everyone heard <laughs> idea. where it came <laughs> from. <laughs> Done. Trademark. TM. Um, yeah. No, a hundred percent. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities um, with the name, image, and likeness rules, you know, changing and evolving. Um, so for sure, I mean, there's going to be a lot of space for that. And I think what's also interesting about that is, I, you know, I think people tend to get caught up on the, like the one or 2%, you know, the guys who are on, uh, you know, we're at Clemson football, like the guys who, who could sell jerseys and things like that. And they kind of get wrapped up in that, but What's super interesting to me as well is the other like 98% of NCAA student athletes who until this time couldn't run a camp in their name, right? They couldn't, you know, essentially say, hey, Randy's basketball camp, come on, you know, over and sign up. Um, you know, things like that, I think are going to be super valuable uh, for the athletes, of course. And, you know, being able to, uh, again, help them do that in any way is, uh, yeah, we would be happy to, um, but those opportunities didn't exist while I was in school for sure. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not to knock the opportunity that did exist, but it is, it's great that, that those opportunities will exist for the, the next gen of athletes. Absolutely. Now, I guess, what, what, what are some of the next steps for, you know, Recruit HQ? Um, and how can people learn more about the work that you're doing? 
For sure, yeah. So our site is recruit-hq.com. Uh, you can hop on there. If Right now, uh, as I mentioned, reviews are all, all free to see. So if you're interested in just learning more about what it's like to play X at Y, like what it's like to play soccer at Ohio State or volleyball at Albany or basketball at Duke even. So, you know, we have tons of resources there for, for um, uh, reviews for, for families. And the next steps right now is we're really focused on getting our community uh, platform up and running so that if you have, you know, uh, questions and really kind of, because of course with recruiting, it, it, there's a lot that is very common across most sports. And then there's a few other things that can be nuanced. And what I've always found uh, from consulting is that, um, you know, parents will have specific questions. Um, they might not know that their specific question gets asked quite a bit. Um, and so being able to have a platform uh, and form and community where, you know, they can find answers to those questions, ask questions, also, you know, maybe uh, be able to ask a former athlete uh, who is available on the platform as well. Um, all those things we're super excited about. So next step is definitely uh, our community. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, if you are a young athlete or the parent of one, um, our whole mission is to help high school athletes find a college athletic program that they'll love. So we're gonna continue building around that and building resources um, to support our young athletes finding those opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, obviously, you know, COVID's come in and have, has, has changed that. And I know a lot of athletes that were here that were supposed to go down to the States mm -hmm. um, were delayed in going, but they eventually ended up going. Right. Um, and everyone's talking about building, you know, COVID-proof businesses and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. You know, what... What, what, what do you think happens if, you know, let's say, you know, COVID doesn't go away mm -hmm. and COVID is one of those things that is just among us, right? Just like right. the flu is, or yep. just like asthma is. Um, yeah. how, how do you think that will affect Recruit HQ moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. I think what's, um, uh, you know, and I hear you, and look, I, I feel for, I have friends, you know, national team friends who should have been in Tokyo a couple months ago, right? Like I just firstly would say, I feel for anyone who was, you know, uh, from the athlete side who had competitive plans and, and had been working so hard towards things this year that, um, you know, got, got unexpectedly delayed um, or just, you know, canceled, it's terrible. Um, so, but from Recruit HQ standpoint, I think the one thing that has uh, kind of shown to be true during this time is sports are they're resilient <laughs> like like when everything was locked down people are like so can we get sports going as soon as possible because that's you know uh sanity for for a lot of uh a lot of folks so you know i hear what you're saying i don't obviously um nobody knows what's to come but i would say that what this time has shown us is that uh, you know it might be a bold statement but i don't think sports are going anywhere they might look different they might you know, be different than they were before. I think that for sure is true, but I don't think they're going anywhere in the sense that it's such a, it's such a strong thread in, you know, globally for sure, like football in Europe, you know, you know, all those things, uh, basketball, football here in North America, it, it's so tied in to, you know, the culture that, um, 
I think that that, that will continue to be true. Um, what it will look like, I think is, you know, obviously up, <laughs> up in the air um, as, at the college level as well. I think as well, um, you know, as you mentioned, if COVID is here to stay, I think what we are seeing with sport is just that adaptability and that resilience to say, okay, well, if this thing's here, how do we function with it being here, you know, and be able to still compete and um, have our fans and, and do all that. So I think Recruit HQ, um, you know, is positioned to be in a industry that is resilient and adaptive, um, considering everything that's been going on. So positive and optimistic on that side, but of course, you know, nobody knows it's going to happen. Um, so we'll do the best we can as it comes. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the, the, the big things right now, especially for sports, um, all sports are going through it. Mm -hmm. um, the whole world is going through it. You know, sports, is, sports have been going through it before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, viewership numbers were, were, were decreasing at a, an alarming rate. Um, you know, the, the, the talk of the fluid fan, right? The right. fan that right. bounces from sport to sport, don't really follow a team, mm -hmm. but they'll follow the players. Yeah. And they they want to get to know the players. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how some of these leagues figure it out moving forward. You know, the, the NBA was, was pretty successful in putting yep. the, you know, the bubble together. Um, For sure. You know, the NFL is going through MLB, NHL just finished yeah. as well. Um, helping sports fans understand, you know, the business side of things. And, you know, if, if, if viewership continues to decrease, well, sponsorship numbers yeah. will yeah. decrease. Uh, you know, athletes' earning potential will also decrease for as sure. well. So uh, going to be some interesting things for us to, to, to see in the next couple of months, years, so on and so totally. forth. Now, I guess as a, as a former, you know, athlete that's now transitioned into, into entrepreneurship and business, you know, what would be some advice from, from, from Tessa to some younger athletes that are, you know, about to go to college, you know, what are some of the things that they should be doing to prepare for life after sports, whether it ends mm. at 22 right. or 32 or 38, what are some things you could do at 18 to get yourself ready? For sure. I think the thing about it is, um, I would say, you know, one of the most important things for anybody, athlete or not, um, in life is to be a continuous learner, right? I think in athletics, it, you know, for most of us, it, that part of it comes naturally because you want to excel. And so you tend to be open to learning how to do that, you know, at each different level. And so I'd say for a young athlete going into college, be very open to that because in pretty much every sport, the college game is different than what you've been experiencing in high school. Um, but then second to that, you know, one of the most important things for sure is that you're still, um, you know, you're still embarking on this journey as yourself, not just the athlete you, you know, and so if there's other interests that you have, um, you know, pursue those as best you can as well, because that's learning in a different you know, a different part of your capacity and different part of your personality and, you know, cultivate as many relationships, uh, you know, as you can as well through college university. Like there's so many interesting people, you know, um, just, just waiting uh, essentially for you to, to meet up with them and, and link up and, and be able to 
um, be creative and, and do things outside of your sport. And so I would definitely encourage that because that's the type of thing where, yeah, it doesn't matter if, you know, your athletic career ends at, as you said, like 22 or 32, um, a lot of the relationships you build in college, university last beyond that, right? Or not necessarily, I should say a lot, but there are definitely many or a few really strong ones that can last a whole lifetime, right? And so I would just say be open to that and be open to the fact that it might not be your teammates, right? It could be a friend in your major, it could be someone that just lives in the same dorm as you, you know, and things like that. So um, always be open to continuous learning, um, you know, and don't ever feel like just because you're an athlete, it means that you have to do certain things like, oh, athletes aren't chemistry majors or athletes aren't, you know, it does, there's, there's no road, there's no right or wrong. Um, so, you know, it's I, my big advice would just be, uh, yes, you're an athlete, but you are also you, you know, and being an athlete is, is while it's probably been a big, very big part of you, there's other parts of you as well. And um, always uh, try and be a continuous learner in all facets as best you can. I love that. You talked about embarking on this journey of yourself mm-hmm. more than an athlete, not just an athlete, more than an athlete. I think um, that's very, very important because, um, you know, it, I think this talks about, well, this, this, this goes into something that I'm, I'm always thinking about, right? Mm-hmm. With, you know, my experience in working with athletes as a brand and business manager. Yeah. We always talk about this transition. Yeah. from you know being a pro athlete or being an athlete in general to not being an athlete for sure and i think one thing that you know a lot of athletes miss out on is you know being an athlete is just a, a, a part of your life it's, it's a part it could be yeah. a very big part right mm-hmm. for, for those that go on to play professionally it drives your life yeah it consumes yeah. your life yeah um and one thing that you see is a lot of athletes struggle to detach themselves from this sure. life or this image or, mm-hmm. you know, being the jock on campus. Like it's hard for people to detach or yeah. transform or adapt into new things because they've been so locked into, you know, to being this one thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your point, you know, brought up this thought that, athletes need to think that they are more than an athlete you know 100 100 i think a, a big part of the struggle with the transition is also that um for a long time it is very um for a long time you know uh, uh, while you're developing your sport there's a lot of um what's you're looking for it's kind of linear or it's one-to-one you know it's like if i put in the work I'll get the results. I put in the work. I'll get you know. It's a it's process driven. It's process oriented. Um, you know, you're essentially told um, to kind of do this thing. Um, you know, whether it's drills or games or be on this team or you know do that, um, and you start to see those results. And I think a big part of the transition is being out into a world that has more ambiguity. It's less you know if if it's less straightforward. If it's less okay, I can go do this thing and this will be the result. Um, I think a lot of athletes, uh, you know, at, very, at various levels struggle with that, you know, and because also coming from um, training regimens that are very hard, right? They're specific, they're structured, they're demanding, but like literally you have to like, and I, and I know this, it's kind of one of those things that's simple, but not easy, 
you have to sh you have to show up right the showing up is the simple it's not easy but it's like if i show up i do the work if i show up i do the work you know and it's very kind of structured and at the same time um you know it is very hard so i think in terms of entrepreneurship i think that's where a lot of athletes can thrive is just the resilience and grit in general um, but what I think is difficult with transitions is the sometimes the lack of structure or the lack of knowing what's what activities are going to get the result right in softball I could say I'm going to go hit the ball off the tee a hundred times to get the result once you leave your sport sometimes you don't it's like what's okay what's the activity that I can do what are the reps like what are the reps that I need to do to be successful at this other thing um, and so I think that transition can be really really tough for, for a lot of athletes absolutely no this you know what you just mentioned um brings me to kobe bryant you know kobe kobe began to structure life after you know basketball mm -hmm. during his final year yeah. you know he was setting up the children's books he was setting up um, all of these other businesses and all of these other interests so exactly. when he was done with basketball yeah. he was done exactly you know yeah and he had other things to move on to yeah and that's huge and that's part of what we were talking about you know with a young athlete going into college right now it's like if you're not that's why i say be a continuous learner because if you start you know cultivating those other sides of your your personality and your person that when athletics is done um you know you, you kind of feel like you're not starting over somewhere you've been you know also kind of pouring into that side of yourself in some way as well Absolutely. The other thing that Kobe talked about as well was, you know, there was things that he wanted to do and he realized that there were things that he wasn't great at. So Kobe, you know, brought Kobe and, you know, through the relationships that he had built over the years, obviously being in LA, you're going to meet a lot of people in movies totally. and TV and so on and so forth. Yeah. Leveraging his name and his brand that he built for himself to essentially build his next career those mm -hmm. relationships were very, very important to his growth after basketball as well. So no, a lot of, a lot of key points that you touched on there. Um, now I wanted to just chat with you really quickly in and around, you know, this, and you could stop me if you want, but you know, this, the, the, the world of the female founder, right. Mm -hmm. This, I, I, I'm not a female, so I, I, I can't speak to, you know, your experiences as, as being a female founder and being mm -hmm. a black female founder. But, you know, what is it that you feel that female founders bring to the table that, you know, people in business really need to be paying attention to, you know, um, for sure. From your opinion? Totally. I mean, I think first and foremost, it's, uh, you know, just diversity just in general, right? Like it, it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be easy to have a room full of the same people, right? Because it can be comfortable. Um, and that's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with that. But I think the issue comes in where um, other ideas aren't being heard and where there's fear because those other ideas might sound different or you know you might not know right i think that's another side of it too i think you know female founders are just you know just having diversity at the table is just so important because what you think is normal 
is always your normal, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter who you are, really. It, you know, it's like your normal is is your normal, right? And so if you're talking about businesses or products or just you know innovation, all these different things, um, we're always looking at it through our own lens, right? And so if you can um, bring other people, other you know teammates on board that have a different lens, all of a sudden. Um, you know, you start to see things differently and creativity at its core is essentially typically defined as bringing two things together that wouldn't necessarily normally go together, right? And you get something totally brand new. So it's kind of like, you know, with the female voice, it's a different perspective, a different lens that can lend to ideas that would have never, you know, come up and, and culturally as well, right? Like you're seeing businesses uh, booming in, um, yeah, like for black hair care or, you know, skin products, like things that traditionally investors didn't know about because they're not of that background, right? They're, you know, it's, it's foreign. And so um, I think what you get with having, you know, more diverse voices at the table is just, an, it just, that exponential factor goes up on creativity right i'm building different ideas and having different solutions to anything culture is literally just like as a solution right each culture develops out of its own solution to each problem um and so you know i think the big thing there is if you want to build and create something unique and different then you need you need unique and different voices uh, at the table so That'd be my perspective Absolutely. on it. Wow. wow. Now, I meant to ask this earlier. Um, you know, your your team at, at Recruit HQ, is it just you for the time being? It is, yeah. So I'm a, a solo founder, um, but I do, as you mentioned, you mentioned Kate before. So uh, Snack Agency uh, is also part of our, our team and super excited to have them on board. Um, but primarily, yeah, myself with Recruit HQ for now and uh, looking to build a founding team around what we've started so far. Now, and this might be a little contradictory, but you talked about diversity. Um, are you looking to build a, a team full of just women? Are you going to also um, look to build a diverse team? Like what kind of team would you like to build in a perfect world? Oh, for sure. I mean, to me, it's, uh, you know, a diverse team includes men and women, uh, different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, so as I go forward, um, you know, for sure, like diversity will be, it would be, you know, like my network, of course, is full of a lot of female athletes, you know, or, and, and um, it, it would be easy for me to find, um, you know, essentially people very similar, ha having had a very similar experience to mine. Um, but as I just said, you know, I don't, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, there might be positions um, where that is the case, but uh, I think having a diverse, a diverse team uh, overall is, is huge um, because it will lend just different lenses. And I'm super open to, you know, a lot of what Recruit HQ is about is sharing experiences, right? So uh, to me, having a team where those, those experiences are, um, you know, as diverse and unique as, as possible with keeping the, the same mission in mind is, is um, a big goal for sure. 
Wow. Well, I think you're, you're, you're definitely going to do it, man. Recruit HQ, uh, recruit dash hq.com. Thank um, you. Yes. Everyone go give it a, a look, a listen. Um, do you see yourself partnering? Uh, now that I think about it, do you see yourself yeah. partnering with the OBAs of the world and the, the CYBLs and, you know, all of these different amateur leagues here in Canada mm-hmm. to, to get these kids on the platform and engaging with it? Is that part of your strategy moving forward? Definitely. Yeah. So a lot of, um, as I mentioned, building out the community platform, a lot of what uh, I'd love to see us do uh, would be, you know, different initiatives, right? Different initiatives that activate different partners to provide resources to student athletes. So if that is workshops or forums or AMAs, um, you know, in partnership with these different leagues and and getting their youth onto uh, the platforms that they can have. The other thing too is, you know, we're in a unique position where um, we can facilitate that, right? So, you know, they might not, as, as a league, have certain things in place uh, to facilitate that dialogue and that conversation, but being a centralized platform, if we can facilitate that, then that's totally uh, aligned with, with what we're looking to do in terms of community building and, and being able to bring, you know, these different voices to the table, um, whether it's, yeah, leagues or, or athletes um, to help uh, youth sports here in Canada and as well as South Blue Border. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, Tessa, you know, one, one thing I do like to ask our entrepreneurs that join us is, you know, how do you take care sure. of yourself, right? What is your self-care tip? You know, I'll give you an example. Mine is if I stretch in the morning, mm-hmm. I normally have a good day. If I stretch and nice. work out, it's even, it's an even better day. Um, but when yeah. I don't work out or, and I don't stretch, my day is off. So for me, my self-care yeah. tip is making sure that I stretch. Uh, right. What would Tessa Thomas's self-care tip be to our entrepreneurs? Yeah, for sure. I, well, I think, um, so similar to you. So I've, I've, as I mentioned, I have a background in fitness. So I've been a fitness instructor um, for a long time. So getting a workout in is paramount. You know, I think for for everybody, entrepreneurs especially, um, but for you know for anyone, <laughs> just general health, it's it's very good for your mental health as well as your physical health. So I think that is a big part of it. Um, I think you need a time and space where you are focusing on yourself, even if it is hard, right? So even if your workout is hard, it's still it's still time that you're giving to yourself, right? And uh, what that space can create is usually um, a lot of, you know, those kind of frontal thoughts disappear a little bit. And maybe things that you've been marinating on for a little bit uh, have some space to breathe and, and maybe some new ideas pop into there. Or just a time to check out, <laughs> literally, you know, like get on a bike, get on a treadmill, go to, go to a class, I mean, outdoor class if you can. Uh, it's a time to just, you know, kind of have that time where your brain's kind of turned off, right? And it's all in the body. Um, so I think fitness provides, you know, a, a, a ton of, of pauses on that side. So I would speak to that for sure. Um, but one of the biggest things I have to be a proponent for is sleep. If you can get any kind of um, routine or as you mentioned, like something, like even if it's just one thing that helps you sleep better at night, whether that's like having screens off, you know, half an hour before bed, or uh, if you do have the luxury to not wake up with an alarm clock, um, things like that do help you sleep. Um, so I would say focusing on sleep and, and, and having your body be able to fully recover 
every day, each night is only going to help you, right? So the way I like to think about it is like, what are those things that are uh, net positive pretty much no matter what? Sleep and exercise, I feel like, are, are both in that category. Sleep and exercise, amazing. Tessa, thank you so much for such an amazing conversation. Um, we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Um, really excited to see some of the work that you're going to be doing with Recruit HQ. Um, any you know last words for our listeners before we hop off? No, thank you so much, Randy. It's been a, a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to see where we go from here. Um, I would just encourage, yeah, anyone who has, um, if you're involved in youth sports, uh, always, you know, feel free to uh, reach out to us. So we're recruit-hq.com, as you mentioned, uh, and keep your eyes peeled for all of those community um, engagement activities that we're going to have coming down the pipe. So um, yeah, and you can follow us as well uh, on the the Twitters and the socials and, and all of that fun stuff uh, to keep up with what we're doing. And, and I'm sure we can post that in the, the notes. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Once again, thank you so much, Tessa, for joining us today. It was a pleasure chatting with you and uh, congrats and good luck. On thank your you. Entrepreneurial journey. Thank you so much.